going to start a uh, new series this morning called Zeal for the House of Prayer. Zeal for the House of Prayer. I've been uh, meditating on Jesus' um, mentality and his heart for the house of prayer. And uh, I'll just say this. It's been interesting to me to, to find that um, I didn't realize how serious he was about the house of prayer. And when I began to stare at it in the scripture, I started realizing, wow, he is far more serious than, than I thought. And um, I thought he was serious. But uh, we're going to take a few weeks and just talk about God's zeal for the house of prayer and building the house of prayer and what, what that's about. And, and biblically, what are the foundations for that? I think um, this is going to be a helpful series for us. I, uh, well, let's pray, and, and then I'll make a few more comments. Well, Lord, we love you, and, and we desire Jesus, as always, to be instructed in the knowledge of God, to know what it is that's on your heart and on your mind. So, Lord, I'm asking you would release revelation to us you would break in with light and speak to us regarding your heart, your emotions, what's working in your mind as it relates to the house of prayer. This phrase that Isaiah coined in prophesying that you quoted, the house of prayer. So Lord, I'm asking, release the spirit of wisdom and revelation Release the knowledge of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes. Wonderful. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was staring at these things, I began to look at Jesus burning with zeal. Jesus burning with passion realizing there, we see in Jesus a completely unique uh, picture of human emotion. And what I mean is this. You see Jesus, a man that is intense at the highest level, completely intense and passionate, and simultaneously you see a man who's completely at rest and at peace. And most of the time our pictures of people that are very intense. We see them as, you know, very intense, maybe emotionally. I, I don't personally know anything about being intense emotionally. Okay, I tend to that side just a little bit. But a lot of times the intense emotional person uh, is almost manic or, you know, disturbed, it seems like, in, in their peace. But Christ is completely passionate, zealous, completely zealous burning, and internally at rest, resting in confidence uh, before the Lord, before the Father. And he carries uh, both realities in perfection. And so when, then we're able to see Jesus operating because he's able to do that, because he is fully passionate and fully peaceful, we're able to see Jesus get up. Uh, get zealously angry. We're actually able to see him uh, get zealously angry without getting into sin. And, uh, you know, that's why Paul admonished us. He said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And, uh, 
And further, that the, the, the wrath of, of men doesn't work the righteousness of God. But Jesus, we're able to see him actually move in, in godly anger while remaining in complete peace and rest and not getting in sin, not mixing the two realities. And you and I, we have a challenge with that, but the Lord is perfect. And so I, I, I want to give that as a backdrop to uh, give description then to what happens here in, in Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. He's going to be crucified uh, in just a few days. And he is laying out some of the most important uh, teachings uh, that he's going to give because he knows he's, he's about to die. He's at the Passover and he shows up and in verse 12 it says, And Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. Now he's not actually on the inside of the temple, he's in the courtyard. And in the outer court, the courtyard area of the temple, the merchants had set up shop. And so they're not inside the building, they're out there in the outer court area. And he, and he drives them all out of that outer court. And overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a robber's den or a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I love that little verse 14 just tagged on the end. Here's Jesus blowing the temple up, blowing up the courts of the outer temple with, with real anger. You know, don't, you know, somebody might say, well, he wasn't really angry. He was just intense in that moment. No, he was angry. And he goes through in perfect godly anger, throws over the tables and then turns around and heals the lame and the sick. Stay, in other words, he stays in com- complete unity with the Spirit of God the entire time. He only did what he saw his father do, and only said what he heard his father say. And in the moment that he's flipping over the, te- uh, the tables and uh, the money changers and the courts of the temple, he's actually manifesting the perfection of the Father's will. Staying in complete unison with the Holy Spirit. This was God's opinion. That's the point. This was God's opinion of what was happening in the temple. Now, interestingly, this isn't the only time that he did this. Jesus did this twice. And the first time he did it was about three and a half years earlier. About, yeah, about three years earlier in John chapter 2. So flip over there. We're going to camp here for a minute. Jesus, the one that's full of zeal and perfect in peace. Manifesting the will of the Father. He's the expression of God's opinion. He's God's opinion in human form expressing the way the Father feels. The Father who is love filling a man with his zeal and his passion. Now look at this, in John 2, verse 13. 
It says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in Matthew 21, it's at the end of his ministry. In John 2, it's at the beginning of his ministry. So it's again at the Passover. That's an interesting point. I want you just to put that in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that in a second. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, in verse 14, and he found in the temple those who sold auction and oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. So again, this is three years earlier, and again, they're in the courtyard of the temple, and they're still doing it. They're doing it three years earlier, and they're doing it three years later. Verse 15. When he had made a whip of cords... Drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changers' money, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, in Matthew 21, he says, my house should be called a house of prayer. Here he says, my father's house, you've made it a house of merchandise. And the, the language that he actually uses in, in both uh, situations, is a, it's a little different because he's conveying different messages. And the, the byline of what happens in John chapter 2, the disciples realize that Jesus is a living fulfillment of this verse from Psalm 69. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now David was the one that had written that verse. And in the, in the mind of the disciples, they see Jesus operating in perfect zeal. And they realize Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that messianic prophecy of, that David gave in, in Psalm 69. And we'll touch that in a minute. So here's Jesus. We actually have four different times where he celebrated the Passover. It's over a three-year period of time. And if you do the math, you figure he, you know, he does his first one here in John 2, and then he does his next one a year later, and then his next one, and then his next one. There's three years that go by, and he's actually doing his fourth Passover by Matthew 21 that's recorded in the Scripture. And Jesus shows up in the temple on that Passover. He's been doing ministry for about six months in a public way. He shows up in the temple, and he makes... He physically, our Lord, grabs uh, uh, several of the cords, and the commentators kind of differ on what they think that this cord might have been made of, but these cords might have been made of, but he, he grabs several cords, and he makes, Jesus makes a whip out of it. And then Jesus begins to go to the guys that are selling oxen and, and sheep and doves and go to their table, and he begins to strike their tables with a whip. Our Jesus. I mean, this is just, we're just trying to have Passover, man. What are you doing? And he begins to grab the money changers' tables and flip them. Well, if you flip a money changers' table, what happens to the money? It goes everywhere. And he is in a I mean, he is in a Holy Spirit tirade. Now, I don't think of him as being like out of control, but I think of him as being very firm, very bold, very aggressive. He's so aggressive that he's one man and he drives all of these guys out of the courtyard. Now, think about that. 
the one guy with the whip, and he moves out, multiple money changers, multiple merchants, drives them all out of the courtyard. They all sort of like, okay, 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 and they, they, they move. He's just starting his ministry. I'm thinking that at that moment, the disciples are just going, oh, no. We had a good thing going. He was, he was healing a bunch of people. Crowds are gathering. Why did he have to go and do this? That's over for us. This is not the church growth strategy. But instead, he's in perfect harmony with, harmony with the Holy Spirit. I, I want to understand, and here's what's in my mind. I want to understand what's going on in Jesus that he thinks it's so important to, at the very onset of his ministry, I mean, he's just gaining momentum, to go into the seat of Jewish worship, into the temple, and make a dramatic scene in, in this way that's going to get everybody's attention and it's going to cause people to automatically you know, make a decision about what's, who is this guy, what's he doing. I mean, you don't go into the place and flip the tables over and drive everybody out and everybody goes, huh, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. And that guy's just a, seems like a good guy to me, a little passionate. I mean, you automatically, he's polarizing everybody. And I'm thinking, what is going on that you would do that, Jesus? Why are, you, why are you making this statement? That's my point. Why are you making this statement? So I, I studied through it. I go, okay, money changers. What's so bad about money changers? I have to figure out why. Why is he so aggressive about the money changers? Well, the money changers... Were they profiting uh, improperly? What the deal was was this: all the people that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, all the males, twenty years old and older, they had to pay a temple tax. They paid an annual temple tax uh, to help for the building of the temple. And and they, all the males, twenty years and older, would come in. They'd come in from all over the place, and they'd have different currencies uh, from different. Um, you know, places that they were from. And so what, hap- what had to happen was they had to pay the temple tax in Jewish currency. So they showed up, and the money changers would set up their, uh, their tables right there to take the money. But what they would do is they would slap a massive fee on the exchange of the currency. And what, they, what they're doing in their mind is they're thinking, you know what? God has said that these people have to pay a, 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 a temple tax to support the building fund. Well, what we're going to do is we are going to profit greatly over this. We are going to, you know, charge them the exchange, but we're going to, uh, you know, increase the price of what it costs because we've got them right where they want them. It's the whole thing of, you know, the, the uh, you know, you go to certain places and they, you know, uh, you can't bring food into the amusement park, so you go into the amusement park and you get a hot dog and it's 10 bucks. <laughs> you know, the 30-cent the hot dog is $10 now. That's what they're doing. The guy shows up to the temple. He's trying to worship the Lord. He's trying to be faithful in his Judaism. He's going to pay. He's going to give to the Lord what, what the Lord has ordained. And the, the, the money changers are saying, this is awesome. This is awesome. I'll take your... 
you know, currency, and I'll give you the, the proper currency, but I'm going to add a massive percentage on what it costs me to just hand you the trade and currency. And in greed, they're sitting there, and they've set up a business. That's the, that's the major problem. They set up a business to exploit people who are trying to be faithful to the Lord. And Jesus has a problem with that. And then the merchants, and I, see, I didn't really exactly get this, but the money changers were one group, and then the merchants were another. And what the merchants were doing was they would bring the oxen and the sheep and the doves, which those were all animals that were used for the people to celebrate the Feast of Passover. And they would set up right there in the court, right there in the courtyard of the temple, and they would sell the sheep and the oxen and the doves, and they would upcharge the people, and they were again using the ordinance of God for, uh, against faithful people, faithful people trying to come and worship the Lord in the Passover, and they would upcharge the people, and they would sh- sell them a sheep or a dove, and they would make a massive profit on it just so that the people could uh, keep the feast that the Lord had ordained for them. Again, exploiting those who were faithful. And so here's Jesus, and he shows up on the first day of Passover. Now, it's interesting, but on the first day of Passover, in the book of uh, Exodus, when the Lord gave them the, uh, the ordinances for Passover, he said, on the first night of Passover, what I want you to do is go through your house, and I want you to get all the leaven out of your house. And that was a sign of them being cleansed and, and purified. And, uh, and my family and I, we celebrate Passover and what we'll do is on that first night, we'll hide bread throughout our home and our children will go through and, and get the bread out of our house. And I think what's happened is there's, a, uh, uh, there's another little tradition where people find eggs. And I think they've just taken that right over from the Passover and they, they do Easter egg hunts. And so, but it actually has its origin in getting the leaven out of the house, which speaks of being cleansed by the atonement of the Passover. So here's Jesus on the first day of Passover, shows up in the house of God, and what's he doing? He's keeping the Passover. He's getting rid of the leaven. He's getting rid of the greed. He's getting rid of the malice. He's getting rid of the the perverse heart that's exploiting the faithfulness of, of the people that wanted to worship the Lord. And he shows up on the front end. I mean, the very first part of his ministry shows up, and he cleanses the house of the Lord of the leaven, so to speak. And I look at Jesus in this, and I think, wow, you are serious. You show up, and you drive them out with, with a whip. I mean, he's not just sort of preaching to them, you know, and, and calling them to remembrance. He's actually physically getting involved. This is serious for the Lord. This is no joke for the Lord. And so then the disciples, they immediately get the Psalm 69 verse, the phrase, zeal for your house has eaten me up. They immediately get that in their mind and they reference that Psalm of David. I want to turn over there, Psalm 69. Because David, what he does in Psalm 69, he's speaking of himself, but he slides into messianic prophecy. If you're familiar with David in the Psalms, you'll find that that's what he does all the time. He'll be speaking of himself, but simultaneously prophesying of Messiah. So David is talking about the trials that he's gone through 
But there's several verses here, and I'm not going to go through the whole uh, book, of, uh, the whole chapter of Psalm 69. But I'm just going to pull a few and show how Jesus is the the fulfillment of these, and for sure. He's the fulfillment of that phrase, zeal for your house has eaten me up. But more than that, he's the fulfillment of the context of that. Psalm 69 and verse 4. Look at this. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. You ever thought about Jesus, the man who is love itself? The most loving man that's ever lived is the most hated man who's ever lived. You want to polarize a conversation with family members and friends, say, and they say, so how, what you been up to? Worshiping Jesus. Let's talk about him tonight. I mean, you will instantly cause a pink elephant to come in the room. I mean, it's the easiest way to polarize a group is to say that name. Jesus. Jesus. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. They hated him without a cause. And they wrongfully crucified him. Because though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Who is he crucified between? To what? Though I have stolen nothing, I must pay the ransom for what thieves have to pay to give with my life. Verse 7, because for your sake, Lord, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. Verse 9, because why? Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you, Abba, they have fallen on me. Verse 10. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. So we find out why people are ostracizing David on the near side of this prophecy and Jesus on the far side. It has to do with his devotion in fasting and prayer to the Father. He says, the, the reproaches with which they've reproached you, they're now reproaching me. And he says, when I, when I chasten my soul with fasting and prayer, that became my reproach. He goes, the issue boils down to this, that I've, I've not backed up from my heart of devotion to the Father. That fasting and prayer has been the core reality of the way I've lived. Verse 11. Also, I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. And those who sit in the gate. That speaks of the elders and the governmental authorities of the city. Those who sit in the gate, they speak against me. And I'm a song of the drunkards. I love that verse. He goes, the guys in the highest part of society and the, the drunkards in the street. He goes, I'm getting mocked from the top all the way to the bottom. Because they're all making fun of me. Why? Why, Jesus? Because zeal for your house. Because it's eating me up. I've in other words, the Lord's saying, I've decided there's something extremely important to me. And what's important to me is this issue of the house of prayer. And my zeal for this house 
it has absolutely consumed me, not in a wild man out of control way, but with perfect passion and perfect peace. He says, I am serious about this, under this. Watch what I do in my earthly ministry. In my first six months, I will cleanse the temple with power. I will make a statement for all humankind to see that I am zealous over this issue of the house of prayer. And Jesus physically carries out Psalm 69.9. He physically carries it out. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. You imagine what the conversations would have been like that night. The disciples come around, they go, you know, you were driving those guys out with whips, and, and man, we've never seen you like that. I mean, usually you're like loving on the children and like praying for them and healing everybody, and man, you're like, like what happened, Jesus? I mean, you had fire in your eyes, and you're like, you were like so intense that those merchant men that, that work with oxen, they were like running from you. There was something coming off of you. What, what's your, and you had a whip. I mean, what's going on with the whip? I mean, we've never seen you like this. And I, I don't know what he would have said at the campfire that night, but I mean, surely he said something like this. I am serious about this issue of the house of prayer. I'm very serious about it. In fact, in the next three years, you won't see me get angry about very many things. There'll be a time when I get frustrated with the Pharisees and they don't want me to heal on the Sabbath because they're so into keeping their rules that they won't allow God's heart of mercy to be extended to people on the Sabbath. You'll see me get angered, but you won't see it happen that often. But this issue over the house of prayer, you will see me get inflamed. In fact, I'm a living, breathing fulfillment of Psalm 69.9. And they're going to go, I knew it. I knew it. That phrase was in my mind when you were driving them out with the whips. I got it, Jesus. Zeal for his house has consumed you. Isn't that right? He goes, that's right. I am zealous over this point. The house of prayer. Well, what was it about the house of prayer? Because the temple was the house of prayer. That's what it was. The temple was the house of prayer. That's when Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 56, for the first time, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. When Jesus quotes it in Matthew 21, when, when he's, he's referencing Isaiah 56, he's talking about the temple. And what is it about the temple that Jesus is so zealous for? What's the point? Was he, uh, was he interested in preserving the buildings of the temple? Was that his point? Couldn't have been. Just a few days later, he says to his disciples in Matthew 24, he says, not one stone will be left upon another. This place will be destroyed. So he, he was zealous for the, for the house, but was, he wasn't zealous for the buildings of the house. Well, was he, was he zealous for the, uh, for the sacrifices, the sacrificial system? Was the issue for him that he wanted to make sure that they were keeping the law of Moses and the sacrificial system to a T without any kind of interference in it? Was that the point for him? No. 
goes, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So here he is. He's making a gigantic statement, not just for them, but for us. Now, come on. When do you see Jesus doing that? When do you see him running around with a whip, driving people out of the courtyard of anything? When do you see him fired up in that way about anything? He's making a massive statement. And you know what I'm realizing? I had no idea how serious he is about the issue of the house of prayer. Do we understand how serious he is over the issue of the house of prayer? He wasn't doing this for the maintenance of the buildings. And he wasn't doing it even to make sure the law of Moses was continued to to be instituted and the sacrificial system was continued to, to, to go. Though the people had to have the sacrificial system. They had to have it. Why? Because it provided for atonement for the people's sins. The sacrificial system had to be in place But that wasn't what he was protecting. He was going to be the sacrifice. (laughs) Just a minute. What was he protecting? He was protecting what God had provided for through the atonement. That was intimacy with man. That's what he was zealous about. Here's how it went. David, after the mosaic system is all set up and in place, David sets up the tabernacle of David. And David's tabernacle is night and day worship and prayer. And it goes on for 33 and a half years. And David's, uh, David's worship and prayer meeting that continues 24-7 for this long period of time, it is not mandated by the law. Hear me. It's not mandated by the law. It was simply something David offered as a free will offering to the Lord. David goes, how how can I live in a palace and God's out there in a tent? He goes, we need to build him a temple. He goes, how can I get all this glory when when the king of glory is the one that he needs all the glory? And so David sets up night and day worship and prayer uh, outside the, uh, his temple, outside of his uh, palace, in the tabernacle of David. Right, they're worshiping before the ark of the Lord. He's doing it not because it's mandated by the law, but because his heart is abandoned to God. He loved God. So they build the temple. Solomon completes it. And they merge the two realities together. The mosaic sacrificial system to provide for the atonement of the people and the night and day worship and prayer for the people to offer a free will offering of love to the Lord. And so in Matthew 21, when Jesus shows back up and he cleanses the temple again, again on Passover, again on the first day of Passover, getting rid of the leaven, when Jesus shows up, this time he changes the statement. He says, Instead of you've made my, uh, my father's house, uh, how did he say it the first time? Take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Instead he shows up and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He goes, the issue that you've missed is the free will offerings. 
men's hearts abandoned to God. He goes, it was never about the buildings. It was never even about the sacrifices. Because these aren't the things that I've desired. What I've desired is a people that will love me in abandonment. A people whose hearts will be fully mine. A people who would be as zealous for me as I am for them. Zeal for my house has consumed me. Why are you consumed with zeal for your house, Jesus? Because I am consumed with zeal for people. I want to flow back and forth in intimacy. And I've done everything I can to provide atonement through the sacrificial system so people can come to God. And David, a man after my own heart, he sets up night and day prayer. But you priests, what you've done is you've kept the form and you've allowed people to to sell and buy and, and do all that in the courts of the Lord. And you've completely missed the point. Where is the prayer? This is what's burning in the heart of the Lord. Do you know Jesus that shows up at the temple, cleans it with the whip, does it on Passover, and his whole point is, I want a people who will love me day in and day out. The point is, a kingdom of priests. I want a whole people who will worship and praise me all day long. Do we know that guy? Because I tell you, it's not a side issue for him. Come on, hear me. This isn't a side issue. The idea that he would show up with a whip, the onset of his ministry. I mean, any public relations person would say, this is a bad idea. You're going to the main church, the only church. And you're going to whip everybody? What are you doing? Like, no, bad idea. He goes, no, I'm burning. We've missed the point. And then at the end of his ministry, right before he's about to be crucified, and that last week, he's laying out the the most uh, important points. He's punctuating his ministry. And he does it again. I mean, surely some of the same guys had been there three years earlier. Right? I mean, they're money changers. They're selling oxen. I mean, can you imagine... You're there the second time? Here comes Jesus again. And this time he doesn't even need a whip. There's authority coming off of him. I mean, what a scary day. When Jesus, about four days, five days before he's about to be crucified, comes storming into the temple courts and begins to cry out, You've made it a den of thieves! My house is supposed to be called a house of prayer. And the entertainment and the commerce had choked out the life of abandonment and worship and love that God desired. Oh, come on. And see, Jesus uses this phrase, den of thieves. He gets that phrase from Jeremiah in Jeremiah 7. Flip over there. Jeremiah 7, verse 11. Here we have in Jeremiah, before the Babylonian army comes and destroys the temple in 600 B.C., Jeremiah is crying out. He's 25 years beforehand, crying out. 
He starts his ministry during the time of Josiah. They're in spiritual revival. And he says, no, all I can see is the standard of war. And all my people are like silly children. They don't comprehend that judgment is coming. They're in a very shallow revival. But God is going to bring judgment on this place and on this house that's born his name. In Jeremiah 7, here's Jeremiah prophesying. Verse 11. He says, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Is this all it's good for? Is the economics and the entertainment you're getting out of the, pl- out of the house of prayer? He goes, behold. Behold. I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. I've seen that you've changed my house into a den of thieves. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at first. See, that's where they were doing the mosaic sacrifices at Shiloh to begin with. And he says, go there and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. The Lord allowed it to be destroyed is the point. He goes, look at Shiloh. What happened there? Shiloh had been destroyed. He allowed the the, uh, tabernacle of Moses to be destroyed there at Shiloh. He goes, and now because you have done all these works, says the Lord. All these works, meaning they've corrupted their worship to the Lord. They'd become a people whose lips confess the Lord, but their hearts were far from Him. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer, therefore I will do to this house, this is the temple he's talking about, I will do to this house, which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place, which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. He goes, I will allow the temple to be destroyed. You know what kind of a crazy prophecy Jeremiah was giving them? It was going to be fulfilled within 20 years. That was the last thing they could imagine. The temple destroyed. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will do to this place just like I did to Shiloh. And the point was, the people were arrogant in heart. They thought they could just do whatever they wanted with the Lord's house of prayer and do whatever kind of worship service they wanted in that place. And the Lord was saying, no, this is not simply about you keeping some form of religion. This is about the hearts of my people being wholly mine. He goes, I'll destroy this place just to get your heart. And so Jesus shows up. Now think about this. Jesus shows up. He goes, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a, Jeremiah 7, den of thieves. And the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, when he said that phrase, they knew what he was talking about. You can imagine their minds thinking, are you, are you trying to say to us what Jeremiah said back in that day? And he, Jesus goes on, and in, and, and in Matthew 23, he begins to reproach them. And then the disciples show up and they say, Lord, have you really seen this temple? I mean, you gave them the den of thieves phrase, but have you really seen this thing? And in Matthew 24, he goes, I surely say to you, not one stone will be left upon another in this place. And Jesus is prophesying to them, essentially what he's saying is this, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he's alluding to the Jeremiah prophecy and he's saying, because 
you have neglected the part that matters the most. He goes, I'm going to destroy the place. It's a den of thieves. And I am touching this, beloved, and I want to say something. I am gripped over the heart of Jesus for the, for the issue of the house of prayer and for the core reality of a people who would worship God with abandonment, with their whole heart, as the main thing that they do. That's what he wanted from them, and I tell you, it's never changed. Hello? That hadn't changed. That has not changed. He's wanting a people who will worship him day and night with hearts that are abandoned. He goes, zeal for my house has consumed me. The point for me isn't sacrifices and buildings. The point for me is the people that love me every day, all day. That's all I want. He goes, my house should be called a house of prayer. When he's quoting that verse, he's quoting Isaiah. Chapter 56, verse 7. Don't turn there. But Isaiah 56, verse 7, Isaiah is prophesying about the next age. He's prophesying about the millennium age when Christ is ruling on the earth. And he says, I will bring all the nations to my house of prayer and I'll make them joyful. The Lord says, my vision. He goes, you want to know what my vision is for a perfect place where the devil is bound and sin is in check? My vision for a perfect place is my son ruling on the planet and people from all nations streaming into the house of prayer to worship me all day and all night. That's my vision. And when Jesus shows up in Matthew 21 and he quotes Isaiah 56, the priests, they should have known this was always about having a people that would worship God night and day. They should have understood it wasn't about sacrifices and buildings. It wasn't about people getting rich on the ordinances of God. It was about a people who would live their hearts alive, abandoned, worshiping God with free hearts. Loving God. Your zeal for this has eaten me up. Zeal for the house of prayer has eaten me up. I want the worship team to, to come and get ready. I'm staring at this and I realize this, beloved. We have been given... Such a phenomenal opportunity. Hear me. We have been given an amazing opportunity. And the idea that we are a part of a community, I mean, I want to tell you real clear, I don't stand like some peacock sticking my chest out, like, look what we've done. I go, how did this happen? How did you give us 24-hour worship and prayer? How did you form a community that would actually minister right into the very zeal of your heart, Jesus? How did that happen? Think about this, beloved. How rare is this in the earth right now? How rare it is in the earth that you'd be a part of a community that's fully committed to loving Him all day, every day. 
Oh, my goodness. Listen, I know it's weak. I mean, I know sometimes you sit in the prayer room and it's a little rough. You know what? Most of our missionaries, we don't have very much money right now. But you know what? I don't care about that. Because this is not about economics and entertainment in God's house. This is about a zeal that's in his heart to be loved by people the way that he loves them. God's going to pay the bills. I know it. He's paying the bills. He's going to pay the bills. He's going to take care of the missionaries and more. But here's, here's how it goes for us. We've been granted. We've been granted the favor to live in a, a people and among a community that, that loves him day in and day out, 24 hours a day. And it's right in concert with the rhythm of the zeal of his heart. We've been given this gift. And all that we wouldn't be ones that turn it into something that it's not. Like the priests. Like the money changers. Like the merchants. Like those that had lost the point. Said their lips, they confess me. Their heart is far from me. Oh, beloved, I am so grateful to the Lord that somehow we've stumbled into this. And I don't think his zeal has changed one bit. You know, there's an interesting thought. Some other time I'll flesh it out. But, you know, we almost think that Sunday morning church is orthodox. Like if you don't do church on Sunday, there's something weird. You know, Sunday morning, do we even know where that came from? It's not in the scripture. Did you know that? There's no verse that says you have to have church on Sunday. Do you know where it came from? Constantine. Do you know what he did? He took the Sabbath worship from the synagogue system, moved it over on Sunday in in honor of the sun god, and that's when all church services were mandated to be had, was on Sunday. Now, does that sound biblically orthodox? No. You know what biblically orthodox is? Zeal for my house, night and day. Worshiping the Lord. He set it up in the tabernacle in the wilderness. He set it up in the house of prayer in in David's tabernacle. He set it up in the temple worship in in, in, uh, Solomon's time. And Jesus shows up in the New Testament and he says, where's the prayer? Zeal for a people that would love me day and night. And he tells us through Isaiah, Isaiah 56, there's coming a time when all the nations will flow to the house of prayer. It's going to be in Jerusalem. And Jesus himself will be sitting on the throne. And we'll be doing worship services. And instead of worship, worshiping him in just spirit and truth, we're going to worship him in spirit and truth and physical reality. He'll be sitting before us. Beloved, do we have any idea where this is going? Furthermore, do we have any idea what we've gotten into? Oh, Jesus. That zeal for your house would consume us the way it consumes you. We would be a people with mirror zeal. 
just like what you have, that Jesus, our hearts, would burn to be a people that love you day and night. Come on, let's just stand. God, I want to honor what you honor. I want to honor what you honor and value what you value. And I want the zeal that's inside of you to burn inside of me. Oh God, that we would be a people that recognize the gift of grace you've given us. I don't understand your work of grace, but I say yes to you, Lord. I say yes. You've never changed. Zeal for your house has eaten you up. It continues to eat you up. And you continue to look for that day when you rule, when you will rule this earth. In the tabernacle of David, a throne shall be established in loving kindness. And all the nations of the earth will flow to you. And until then, you've set watchmen on the wall that won't hold their peace day or night. And here we are, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Here we are. Let zeal consume us. Let zeal consume us, God. I want to be fiery about what you're fiery about. I want to let the lesser things fall by the side. But let the scripture tell me what it is that's important to your heart. Why would you cleanse that place with a whip, Jesus? Why would you do it again the last week of your life? Because you're burning.